I noticed there was an issue right from that moment when the property manager said, I'm actually the property manager. So this is the first time they've connected as well. So I'm like, wait a minute, you've been managing this property for two years and you've not, and you don't know who these tenants are? Because that's where actually where most of the mistakes were made is in its infancy. Real estate investing is not passive at all, like zero passive, unless you are just more of a money investor. Welcome to the Freedom Chasers podcast, where we bring you interviews and discussions that share the stories, successes, goals, and dreams of real estate agents and real estate investors pursuing a life of purpose and freedom. All right, everybody. Today, we are super excited to be with Mr. Michael Ponte. He is the founder of Prosperity Real Estate Investments and Savvy Investors. There's a Facebook group. We'll include the link that you guys could join later. Uh, Michael, we'd love to jump right into it, kick it off with a crazy story. So wow. tell me the craziest experience that you've had so far in Holy. real estate. Yeah, thanks for guys. Thanks for having me here. It's, it's a true pleasure to be part of Freedom Chasers. And, and thank you so much for the advice. The craziest story, man, I got so many, 20 years worth, man. I, how long is this episode? I, I don't know. Um, you know, right. I, I guess uh, I've got so many to share, but there's always, you know, as soon as you reference a question, I always have to go back to kind of one of my earlier roots in, in my business, uh, because that's where actually where most of the mistakes were made is in its infancy. And um, so when I started many years ago, I uh, bought my first property. Actually, I think this was my third property at that point in time. And um, and this wasn't in a market that I'm in. So for those that don't know, I'm in, based in Vancouver, British Columbia in Canada, and it is actually raining out here. It's not snowing, I think a lot of people may assume. Um, and I bought in an area called in Edmonton, which is uh, one of the provinces just next to us. Um, bought a property there and um, and it was working great. I had hired this property management company and you know all the sunshine and roses. Money was coming in every single month. Isn't that the what a concept that is? Hey, it's just everything is working. Ready, boo. Holy moly, right? Or so I assumed. And so, you know, one of the things that I recommend for those that are investing in other markets, other states, other provinces, other areas, is always make sure you go out to see your property physically, if you can, or at the very least virtually every six months. So in my case, I didn't see this property in two years, too. But you know what? I assumed everything was looking great because, again, rent's kind of coming in, no major issues. Uh, so I go out to see the property and my property manager is with me and we knock on the door and all of a sudden the door opens and I introduce myself as the owner. And I noticed there was an issue right from that moment when the property manager said, I'm actually the property manager. So this is the first time they've connected as well. So I'm like, wait a minute, you've been managing this property for two years and you've not, and you don't know who these tenants are. As the door opens like a punch in the face, the smell that is coming out of this place is unbelievable. Okay. Uh, and so for those that have maybe watched uh, Hoarders or any of that stuff, uh, that, that TV series, that's kind of my reality, right? And so here I am kind of pushing away clothes and stuff and saying, okay, the floors are still somewhat intact, okay? Dishes everywhere. It's, a, it's just a disaster inside. So as we walked through the property, I couldn't come to the conclusion of what the smell was. I had no idea. It was just pungent beyond belief. And this is a townhouse, a three-bedroom, one-and-a-half-bath townhouse, really simple property. And it, it was when I went down to the basement to realize that they were running a puppy mill in the basement of this townhouse. There must have been about 30 puppies. 30, okay? Um, anyway, we walked out of the door. And obviously, the first thing I did was fire the property manager within the first five seconds. And obviously, we evicted the tenant. But... Again, talk about lessons learned, and 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 that was probably a horror story. And uh, you know, for me, the lesson wasn't that I hired the wrong property manager. In fact, it really wasn't their fault. The fault is actually belonging to this guy here, because I haven't been diligent enough to be going out to go look at that property, ensuring that our property manager was doing their job accordingly. So. You know, you asked the question, Tim, that's just one of multiple, but again, we'll try to keep this short, but if you ever want to go and expand on that, I've got lots of wonderful stories for you. So, 
This is so crazy. Love this. Thanks for sharing. So when you say puppy mill, like were they breeding puppies for the purposes? Like was it business or just like things got out of hand and they didn't even realize they had 30 dogs? Well, let's just say it wasn't a legal puppy mill and they were breeding. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> got it. Wow. Michael Vick type situation. So let's, you mentioned something that really wants to take me into the real estate versus stock world. Hmm. So a lot of times, like people talk about real estate being passive. And I think that what you just described here might allude to the fact that real estate is not passive. So being a multifamily investor, you're focused a little bit more on income than generally people who are buying single family. So can you talk about the returns of multifamily investing and how that would compare to stocks? And can you talk about how passive really is it mm. or should it be? Um, so can you kind of dive into those? Sure. So on a couple of things, I actually still invest in single family and I do multifamily. I do both, to be honest with you, but my percentage is mostly on the multifamily space for the reason of what we'll just talk about in a second. So uh, maybe just to start off the question is, do I go fix toilets? Do I go and uh, deal with tenant issues? The answer is no, I don't deal with any of that stuff. But um, I'm going to be very, very clear on this. Real estate investing is not passive at all, like zero passive, unless you are just more of a money investor. Um, and in some cases, I still think it's still very active is making sure your partners are still doing what they say they're going to be doing. You know, you cannot be burying your head in the sand in this game. This is not this is not the case at all. Real estate investing is a business. And if you look at companies like Sony or um, um, I'm just trying to think of other companies, Nike, they're not looking at their business passively and either should you. You have to be involved in this business, period. I don't care if things are running well or not. You have to be involved and you are a business owner treated as a business and you need to make sure that it is performing well. And that is absolutely true when it comes to the multifamily space. Um, when you're buying a single family home or a property, you are technically buying a property, okay? But when you're buying a multifamily, and when I say multifamily, it's not fourplexes, I'm looking at five plus, so 20 unit buildings, 18 unit buildings, 30 unit buildings, you are buying a business. And in that business, it is all about the net operating income. And your focus is trying to increase every single dollar of that net operating income. And for those that don't know what net operating income is, it's gross income, okay? That's rent, laundry income, storage, it's parking, all that stuff. Um, minus expenses, not including your mortgage. So income minus expenses equals your net operating income. Your focus is to try to increase that dollar, uh, that dollar amount because it increases the value of the building 10, 15, $20, depending on location and area. So that's the focus. Um, so to kind of go back, why I choose one versus the other, um, in this space right now, and I would imagine everybody in the States are seeing this thing as well Is you know, we're dealing with some really interesting times with inflation and, and, and you know, rate increases and all that stuff. Um, and obviously some concerns with prices starting to kind of dip and it is very, very market dependent as the market changes, real estate and the residential space tends to change as well. In multifamily, I can actually create forced appreciation, even in a down market. Um, and times like this is actually really great opportunities because the demand for rental income is higher, okay? So there's actually great opportunities in multifamily where I'm not just so focused on what's going on in the market. I can look at an opportunity and say, hey, this property is under rented or it's not managed well. This business isn't managing well, like any other business. I can take it over and turn it around and be able to pull a bunch of cash out of it. So, you know, to use an example, um, bought a property back east in Atlantic Canada. Um, you know, we bought this property for $950,000. Just a small little 12-unit building, nothing nothing too much. Uh, this owner owned this building for a very long time, had tenants in there uh, for almost 30 years. One tenant was paying $675 a month for a two-bedroom unit, including utilities. The average rent was $1,100 and not including utilities. We took it over did what we need to, to do, which was raise the rents, transfer the utility costs. We had some turnover for sure. But then in seven months, that property was now worth $1.5 million, which is what we sold it for. Okay. So we made $550,000 in eight months. That's why I like it. Now to compare that to stocks, and I'm not here to poo-poo on stocks, and, and I'm not a stock guy, and I'll be honest with you. That's just not what I am. I, and do I gamble a little bit? 
Sure. And when I say gamble, I call that the stock market. I have gambling money in the stock market, but my perception, no different than Vegas, is I'm here that knowing that if I make money, great. If I don't, I'm not sweating it so much. I like real estate because I have a lot more control and there's not so many, you know, every single day I know my property value for the most part is not going to drop 100% or 70% in one day. But um, the biggest difference that I like about real estate versus the stock market is I can see what's going on in the market. I can determine what rent rates are. I can, you know, I can really be more involved in the business and I can make things actually happen to increase valuation of the property versus the stock. If I buy a stock and all of a sudden somebody, I don't know, quits that day, that's our senior manager that's highly recognized, that stock could drop 15 or 20% just the following day. I have no control of that. And so for me, you know, I, I look at stock as maybe a little bit more passive, to be honest with you, from, from my perspective is I'm investing in a stock and I'm kind of hoping and praying that things are going to kind of work, work well. Where in real estate, I can pay attention to fundamentals. I can see what's going on in the market. I can see if job growth is actually occurring there. I can see if migration's happening there and changes don't happen immediately. It like, so the reaction time is not so drastic. I can sit six months and I can I can visibly see that a six month window, it gives me an idea of do I want to sell or not? Um, but I have that type of visibility. So I hope that kind of answers your question in a long, long way. And it's kind of go back to your question further, Matt, is this, you know, what types of returns are you seeing in, in multifamily? It could be significant and it could be very little, but it is really dependent on the acquisition in itself. If you're buying above market price or at market price and there is no opportunity to increase valuation, then your returns are probably going to be looking or going to look less. But if you if you pay really close attention to the opportunity in the multifamily space um, and finding a deal where I can increase net operating income. And, and I think for those that are listening and, and considering multifamily for the first time, that's what you're paying attention to is how and what can I do in this building to increase the net operating income to increase the value? If I can find that, then you can determine the types of returns you can make. Um, absolutely incredible answer. Thank you so much for that. Um, I absolutely agree with you in terms of the stock market, in terms of it being kind of gambling. I tend to do most of my gambling on crypto, and that is definitely <laughs> pretty heavily in the gambling realm. But the, the, the returns you could get are really insane. For sure. um, I love that you keep referring to this multifamily thing as a business, like you're buying a business, not a property. Yeah. And I love the way that you're framing that because it's absolutely correct. Um, and you're also really heavily emphasizing that you can increase the value of said business. So mm -hmm. what I would love to hear from you is what does your due diligence process look like? Yeah, great question. And so for me, I always kind of start off with location, 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 location. So um, for me, I've literally invested throughout this country in Canada. I haven't invested in the States just as of yet. We're kind of dabbling there. And, and believe it or not, we're actually looking in Portugal, to be honest, of all places. Um, but, you know, part of it is um, I want to look at key fundamentals first is um, I want to be looking at jobs. What What is dictating that rental, rental supply? Is there demand for the supply in that particular area? What types of jobs are being created in that specific location as well? What is the location? So, you know, is it a class A, class B, class C, class D? Um, so I want to make sure I've got all my parameters. You can always change a property. Very, very easy to change the property. You cannot change the location. So when you're driving around and you see a bunch of challenging individuals, let's just put it that way, um, that's your tenant base. So be aware of that. And so with that being said, you might have the most amazing building but the area is going to dictate your tenant base and that's just the reality of it. So for me, those are kind of the first steps that I'm looking for, but I'm looking for economies where uh, there is growth and expansion. And the biggest thing for me is migration, because when people migrate from one state to another or one province or another, they tend to be renters for the first two years first. And in a lot of cases, they go to the lowest common denominator in the rental side, and that is apartment buildings, three bedrooms, two bedrooms, one bedrooms. Those are always the great kind of complexes. So that, that's first and foremost. Secondly, um, as part of our due diligence process, and this is part of our acquisition strategy. Before, before we go to the second part, sure. if we could actually take this deep. Sure, let's go. Like, as we just taught on a little bit on this in our passive investor course last week, but I am very curious to know your opinion being in both the single family and multifamily space. Like, can you go deeper into like, how are you checking migration patterns? What sources are you using? How are you checking jobs? How yeah. deep do you go into like companies and 
give us a, give us a, a greater feel for that. Sure, great question, Matt. Thank you for that. And it's funny because I just taught this yesterday, actually, too, as well. So yeah, so this worked yeah. perfectly. Um, but the reality is, um, there's lots of sites that I go to locally here in Canada. I would imagine in the U.S. there's a lot of this as well. Um, but you go to Stats Canada, CMHC. We've got all these different platforms that we can kind of see where the migration patterns are happening, right? And so for me, I'm looking for trends, not just kind of a one-hit wonder one month. Um, and the other part that we look at is there's also um, some other sites as well as where major construction jobs are occurring. And I always look at more blue collar employment because blue collar employment is where most of that most of the jobs are occurring. Um, so big facility, you know, big, big construction projects, road construction. Uh, and, and right now, lots of tech, you know, Amazon, big fulfillment centers, all of these things. What is actually being built within those areas and what can I accommodate or what and what type of and how much employment is actually going to occur in those areas? Another bit of advice that I go to is I'm not so dependent just on reports, but I actually go to the city economic development officer. I go to the city itself and just say, what do you guys have planned? What you know, you know what are we expecting? And there are can be an absolute wealth of knowledge. And sometimes, you know, I, I was sharing a story yesterday. Um, I was in a smaller market that I was considering investing there. And I went to the city and I wanted to talk to the economic development officer to determine, you know, what jobs and what companies were actually moving in. Not only did I talk to the economic development officer, they took me to the mayor. And I actually had a meeting with the mayor and went for lunch with the mayor to talk about business because here I am about to invest. And I, you know, I was taken aback for sure, but it, again, this is really, really great that they were being very open to share because they want more of that investment to kind of come in. So for me, it's, it's asking those questions, but I think the more important part is, yeah, you know what, you wanna see those jobs being announced. And this, this is a two-pronged approach to this. When a job gets announced in the news, it doesn't actually mean it's started. And so, you know, if I look here in Canada, just because a job's announced, it could be six, seven years before a project actually comes to fruition. And so for me, I use the terminologies, wait till the shovel's in the ground. So if there's this massive announcement that comes in that's supposed to increase population growth and bring in a bunch of people, make sure the shovel's in the ground. You might lose a little bit on the equity side on the speculation part, but once it actually is created, um, then you know that, or once the job's actually started, then you know that that is the true migration that kind of tends to happen. So love this this is so awesome like i just love that you put that meeting out there like really really great insight i want to dive deeper into the numbers so like when a lot of you know like costcos and these companies come in to different areas they have like a team that says okay population's got to be x and these conditions have to be satisfied and you talk about location do you have a framework for like, I don't invest in places less than 100,000 people. Like what would be your box in that way? When you're, when you're talking about jobs coming in, how many jobs per capita, so to speak, are, are you looking for? Yeah, so for myself, you know, I don't really invest in smaller communities very often. It's very, very, very rare. And so for me, I'm looking for diverse economies for sure. Um, here being in British Columbia, and this is not a shot to all my BC people, especially up north, but the reality is we do have a lot of smaller towns that are one industry towns, or in some cases, one employment town. So they are one downturn away from complete turmoil. And so for myself, not interested. I try to look for populations of over 40,000 40, people. Um, and that's in that breath, you know, if I'm looking at jobs that are being announced, which is going to be equating to like, you know, 5% increase of my 5% uh, increase in of employment. So like a thousand jobs. And, and it's not so much even just the job announcements to do the construction is the longevity of the jobs is I want to make sure that those jobs are for the next three to five years. And then does that fit my time plan in ho my holding pattern? for that property as well. So if I'm buying a multifamily and my plan was to hold it for 10 years, but they've just made this massive announcement. And when I look at this, yeah, they're gonna be bringing in 10,000 people in to do the build or the construction of that, which is gonna increase the population by 20%, but that's only gonna last a year. That's a short, short window. And so you can't just even base it on that is what is the longevity of those jobs that are being created as well. And so part of that is, you know, you, that's part of your plan. You know, are you in there just in and out or are you in there for a more of a longer term approach? And that goes right back to your investment strategy, right? So. Excellent. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, as we're continuing to discuss due diligence, I would love to know what kind of red flags are you looking for when you're looking at the um, 
when you're looking at a property you're considering purchasing? Uh, red flags. Um, well, I think the big thing, you know, especially in the multifamily space, and it happens in almost every single pro forma, is um, I, I go into my pro forma. One gets presented to me, and again, it's going to sound kind of really funny, but I, I'll read it and I'll say, here's my pro forma. How are they screwing me? Okay, so that's how I look at it. And then I actually work backwards, right, to determine that they're not, okay? It always goes in first with that mentality is where are the lies and then start working it backwards. And then really quickly, I start to kind of determine these things like, you know, for example, you know, rents are complete, you know, more, more often than I see performance, I'm not sure if you guys see this is they're basing it off future rents. They're not basing it off what current rents are, you know, um, you know, there's no property manager that's there. And even though they've got property manager, are there, you know, are there, uh, are, is the insurance actually from this year or was it from three years ago or, you know, property taxes, the same, same type of thing. So there's all this fictitious stuff that tends to happen into the pro forma side that I'm paying very, very close attention to. Um, and so, you know, part of it, it, from a due diligence perspective on the acquisition side, it's, it's, it is going through the details. And that's such an important piece in multifamily because the devil is in the details. And it could be a make and break of your deal. It really can. Because if you're trying to increase the valuation and you're making an assumption that the pro forma that they're providing you is factual, then you take it over and it's not, then everything that you had planned could just go completely out the window, right? And so um, as investors, especially in that space, it is so, so important to do your due diligence on the acquisition side and, and go through the numbers with an absolute fine tooth comb. And if the market is, if they're trying to present it as a 6% cap rate on there, but after you've done your due diligence and it comes in at a 5% cap rate, the first quest, first thing I'd go back to my invest to my seller is, hey, you sold me on a bat on, on a basket of goods at a six percent cap rate. We know that it's not to make it a six percent cap rate based on what you told me. This is the new price that has to kind of come along with it, right? And so for me, it's it's really important that you you scrutinize those numbers exceptionally well. Um, and as part of the process for myself, and and this is you know Matt, this might go back to a question that you were highlighting to is some of the importance that I look for. Um, I, you know, for me, I'm a cash flow investor. That's what I do. I don't buy stuff that just breaks even. Um, in addition to that, over 20 years learning this from the very, very early infancies is I make money on the buy. And that's my belief. People have different perspectives on it, but I do make money on the buy. There has to be equity from day one. And does that minimize the amount of properties that I look at? Absolutely. But I know that small percentage of properties that I'm looking at is going to be somewhat protected. So if the market is dictated here, that's what the market is and that's what the cap is, I'm hoping to buy here. For me, I'm looking 10, 15, maybe even 20% kind of buffer somewhere in that vicinity. I am looking for motivated sellers. And when I see situations that are happening right now, there's opportunities ahead of us as well. Um, and so by doing this and by, if the market's here and so if the market's high and I'm buying below market value by 10, 15%, it provides me a little bit of a cushion, especially with challenging times like we're dealing with today. So if the market takes a dip another five or six or seven points or the rental demand goes down a little bit, I'm reasonably protected for myself and also my money partners that I'm bringing onto the project as well. But if I'm buying at market price with speculation mindset that prices are gonna continue to go up because it's been doing that for the last 15, 20 years, then I know you're just in a position where you most likely will get burned. All right. Thank you so much for getting into that. So, I mean, we've discussed the state of the market a couple of times. So, I mean, I know in the U.S. we just raised the rates again. Mm. Um, obviously, it might be a little bit different for you guys. But, like, what are your projections right now? What kind of strategies would you recommend people pivoting to in a market that might be in the state of decline? I could tell you my market certainly is. Um, but um, um, what are your thoughts there? Like, where do you think it's going right now? And what kind of strategy should people be implementing? Yeah, I think, you know, my opinion is this, get into cash, get into lots and lots of cash. Uh, been, you know, I think for you guys, you, you saw it more so than we did up here in Canada. I and mean, you know, look at a lot of the notes in 2008, 2009, 2010 in our company, we made most of our money shortly right after that recession or that great recession, right? And so truly I'm looking at it from that same breath. Do I expect it to be another 2008, 2009, 2010? I don't, but I think we're going to be dealing with challenges that we haven't seen in a very long time. And some markets are going to be much more impacted than others. And so um, for here in Canada, Vancouver and in Toronto, 
uh, prices have been inflated for a very, 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 very long time. And so we're already seeing the impact of interest rates. So even, even uh, I think you guys had just a, a recent three quarters of a point increase this week. We had a half a point the previous week. Uh, my prediction is we've got a few more still definitely ahead. We're, we've, we're not in a position to battle through the inflation challenges that we're facing here in Canada at all. Um, and my perspective is we are going into recession. It's going to happen probably in the next six months from now. And I think um, my opinion is now when, when things are starting to be cut back, you know, people are no longer maybe spending as much money as they were going out for dinner or entertainment or any of those things, it's going to impact companies and companies are most likely going to have to do some layoffs. And, and so with that being said, I do see this downturn kind of really creating some havoc. Um, some interesting stats that have been happening here in Canada is we're seeing people paying debt or increased debt with more debt. And so they're using credit cards. They're using lines of credits to help offset these mortgage payments and other things. And so it's just a matter of time when the, this turbulence is going to create more impact, uh, impact in the industry. And people are going to have to be much more, um, they're going to have to do something really significant. And this is where I see as opportunities for us as investors. And, um, you know, I kind of share this as, is yes, it's an unfortunate situation for people that I believe is probably going to happen. How drastic it's going to be, it's anyone's guess. I don't know. But I know opportunities will be available to us and some markets are going to strive better than others. Um, but with that being said, um, we need to look at ourselves as, as real estate experts and just say, hey, we are solution solvers, actually. We are, we're providing solutions to problems or we are problem solvers. We are there to provide solutions to individuals that are struggling. And I think that's where some of the challenges are going to be. Um, saying that. Yeah. I mean, just to clarify, too, you're saying the words like impact and turbulence. Um, my assumption in, in you saying that is people that are hanging on with multiple layers of debt are going to get essentially wiped out. Is that what you're referencing when you're talking about turbulence and impact? That's my feel. Yeah. So that's my, my concern more than anything. Yeah. And so what we've seen in some of the markets out here in Canada is the debt load is already extremely high. Like it's pretty severe. People have been buying boats and cars and hey, is that kind of a similar story back to what we saw in 2008, you know, pulling lines of credit and, and pulling lines of credit for other investment purposes. And maybe you buying properties out here in a negative cash flow position, like here in Vancouver, uh, we have not seen any downturn. Prices have been going up 10, 12, 14% per year for almost 20 years. So you've got two generations that really believe real estate prices only go up. That's it. And they always go up 10 to 12%. They don't understand what a real estate cycle is. They've never seen one before. And this is the first time. And they're like, what do I do? I don't understand, right? But then other markets across this country are, have seen cycles over and over again. And so there's different variations of where it's going to be much more impactful. And the biggest one, and I'm not sure if you guys have shared this, but I don't think, you know, when we look at statistics and due diligence, one of the most important stats that I think people should be paying attention to is affordability right now. Afford, the for, affordability is probably one of the biggest pieces people should be paying attention to. One of the things COVID has done is it's opened the doors where people can be more, um, they can work from home and they don't necessarily need to work close to where they, uh, they don't need to live close to where they work. They can work in different states, different provinces, the other side of the country if they want to. And that's opened the door a lot. So when people's debt loads are extremely high and they're looking for solutions, be prepared that looking for areas that have good affordability where people can migrate to, because I do see migration patterns changing in specific areas. And so with that being said, those are the things that we're paying attention to. And so my comment is, what do we do? My, what our company is doing, we're getting into cash, lots and lots of cash. And for us, it's, it's all about being, uh, being ready and being opportunist when, as soon as they become available, ensuring that our investment team is out there combing the streets and trying to find those deals out there, knocking on those doors and hopefully providing those opportunities for us that's not even available in the market. And that's what we're paying attention to. And so my advice to everybody, if you guys are in the game or you're about to get in the game, you don't have to jump in right now. I'm not saying that there's no opportunities now. There's lots of opportunities now. But you know what? I think there'll be a lot more opportunities in the very near future. So Awesome. So let's talk about getting into cash. I like the analogy. It's almost like putting on a, a suit or something. Yeah. So let's talk about the how. Is that selling properties that you currently have? 
if someone doesn't have any cash to get into, is that seeking out a lot of relationships where they're building 10 or 30 relationships with people that have money? Can you describe your process of getting into cash? Absolutely. And, and pretty much a combination of all everything you just said, to be honest with you. Like, I don't think you need to sell it unless it really makes sense um, to sell. Sometimes it does make sense. Sometimes it doesn't. Um, you know, definitely pay attention. You know, right now, your value of your properties is probably at the highest that it, it is. So is there opportunities to pull your line of credit? When was the last time? You've got you you've gone to your home equity line of credit and tapped it again. And when I say tap it is expansion of your line of credit. I'm not here to say you need to be buying boats and cars or any of that stuff. Smart, smart investments, investment strategies. So just have that capability to get that cash uh, available to you and maybe expansion to that. Um, and for those that don't have cash, yes, you can do it too. It, it, it's not a problem. Lots of people have done it. And, and even myself, I got tapped out as well. And even still, you know, I've, I'm heavily invested in, in real estate is learn the process of how to raise money and start networking and engaging and, and connecting. And, you know, there's, as in real estate investors and experts, people that have, you know, educated themselves or learned, um, you've got skill sets that money partners don't have right now. There's so much money sitting there. There's tons of money. People are like, what am I going to do? Markets, not stock markets, not doing well. The real estate market's doing well. So everybody's kind of just scratching their heads and just like, I've got, I'm sitting on a bunch of cash. What do I do? Is this the right time to buy? And everybody's gun shy a little bit. And so here's your opportunity to start communicating in a way and start connecting with them. And more importantly, selling yourself. You're not selling a deal. And this is, you know, this is my belief is you're never selling a deal. You're actually selling yourself because before I give Matt a hundred thousand dollars, I'm sure I trust Matt really well, not a problem. But the reality is if I'm going to give Matt a hundred thousand dollars, I want to confirm that Matt's not going to take my hundred thousand dollars and go to Belize for the next six months. And that that's the most important thing that I'm trying to determine. But if I trust Matt a hundred percent, a hundred percent, it doesn't really matter what the deal is because you know why I trust Matt. That's, that's the reality of it is if I trust Matt, I trust Matt. And, and that's what you have to sell as a money partner. And some cases, or sorry, as a real estate expert, I tend to see this a lot. People are pitching deals on, on Facebook and stuff like that, 40% return on your investment and all that stuff. You're, you're kind of doing a little bit of ass backwards, to be really honest with you, is it is about relationship building first and foremost. You need to connect with these people. So for those that don't have capital, you know, don't feel sorry for yourself. This is your time to get out there. There are millions, tens of millions, hundreds of millions out there. And, and, and I share this with a lot of my students is like, at some point in time, you'll have a problem. Your problem isn't about finding money. It's about finding deals. You'll have more money that you will have available than there are good deals. And once they get that and they go through the process, they're like, yes, I finally got the problem. But when I first tell them that, they're just like, I wish, you know, wouldn't that be a nice problem to yeah. have? But that is the truth. There is so much money that's out there sitting, waiting to do something. Um, it's just how are you presenting yourself? Um, how are you presenting yourself to attract your money partner to wanting to work with you? And more importantly, trust you that you know what you're doing to, to, to invest. Absolutely. And it's interesting, too, because like we're experiencing this, like as we have a podcast and have been investing, people hear about what we're doing. They want to invest. So over the last few years, we have just had so many people come and say, hey, I've got this amount of money. What can we do? And while it's been great because we have been able to do investments with people, it also to some degree can be a, a little bit of a burden because these people look to you and they want you to help them. And you're like, wait, we got millions on the sidelines for people that want us to invest. But they're there's there's a uh, not enough deals uh yeah i reference this that once you've secured your money so once you've once you've got them secured so let's just say i signed matt up as my money partner and matt says mike i'm ready to work with you you know sign a letter of intent that i'm wanting to work with matt that's great or matt wants to work with me it's great matt's got an expiration date Okay, that's the reality of it. And I don't know how long it's going to be, but I know from that moment that he signed that paper, I've got a very small window. And that small window could be three months, six months, a year, which is true. But this is why, you know, one of the things that I teach is you need, you can never stop raising money ever. Because at some point, maybe Matt wants to work with Tim. Tim found a great opportunity. And Matt's like, well, Mike Pondy is not, hasn't had a deal in the last, four days. So you know what, I'm going to work with Tim instead. That happens. It, it does happen. 
But that's why you always need to be in a position where you need to constantly be raising capital because, you, you know, there's that percentage that may fall from the wayside. It happens. It's just part of the process. So just because you've secured money at that moment, if you've got no deal, just remember your money partners do have expiration dates. Yeah, love this. So I want to get deep into how you raise money. But before we do, you've been in the business for 20 years. So you, as you said, you've seen some market cycles, which gives us a lot of uh, wisdom and expertise we could pull from. But the thing that's sticking out to me the most is you're like one happy dude, like energy wise, just the way that we're experiencing you right now. Like you're not the salty seasoned investor you know, et cetera. So can you talk about like what your journey has been like, the mistakes that you've made, but how is it that you're coming today with so much energy and passion having been in the game for 20 years? Yeah. You know, um, I guess Jack Daniels would be, no, I'm just joking. Uh, the reality is that's not the case. No, honestly, I, I truly love what I do. Um, and, and honestly, um, if anybody's ever played the game Monopoly, we are playing real life Monopoly. And, and, and this is a game and that's the way I truly treat it. There is nothing more exciting that, um, nothing more exciting. Number one, acquiring great property, seeing it come to fruition, um, you know, locking in some great profits, seeing money going into your account every single month. And, and like I said, it's, it's really fun. Is there crappy times that come? Absolutely. But it, it kind of makes me the person that I am today. I've become much more of a better business person and more sophisticated investor because of all the challenges that I've come through. And I'm sure you guys have as well as you learn from these lessons. Um, and I take a lot of pride in regards to sharing those lessons with my fellow students and, and colleagues and, and individuals on Savvy as Investor as well, because then they can learn from those mistakes as well. Um, but I think, you know, your guys' podcast, you know, Freedom Chaser, that's the reason why it makes me so happy. My, you know, you know, that your term Freedom Chaser or Freedom is what a lot of people are looking for. And, and many years ago, when I first started investing, I was working at a company and was traveling, you know, two and a half weeks out of every single month and barely seeing my kids and my family and all that stuff. I started this game to free up my time. So I got more time to spend with my kids, take my kids to school. Um, I, I don't have to get up and work that day. You know, I was in Portugal actually uh, in August. Talk about a cool concept because we were talking about, you know, migration there and, you know, being snowbirds out in that area. That was really rewarding being there for three weeks and everything just kind of run tickety boo. Money's going in your pocket every single month or that time. And I didn't really have to be involved. And so, you know, that's what excites me is, you know, when you, when you put your head down and you focus on your journey and what your goals are and what you're trying to accomplish and truly are um, striving for those objectives and you got to push yourself. So there's going to be some crappy days. Everybody can just bury their head in the sand or poo-poo on themselves and say, I'm not good enough or I'm not anything. Or you can just overcome some of those obstacles and obstacles that are in front of you to keep pushing forward on what is it? Why are, why are you investing in real estate to begin with? That's really the answer. And it shouldn't be money. Okay. It really shouldn't be. It's what is, what are you trying to strive for in your life when it comes to real estate investing? And so I'm in a place where, um, you know, like even myself, I, I built a very large portfolio. I'm even starting to downsize a little bit and streamline things a little bit. But don't get me wrong. I love the game. I, I love acquisitions. I'm still involved with this. It's just more strategic and more focused investments um, and even slimming down, you know, some, even some of my earlier portfolio and some of my single family properties, which I still own, I'm starting to downsize some of those ones that are maybe taking a little bit more time where I don't want. Uh, other things that I'm looking at is systemizing things where I need to be, um, it's not passive, but I don't want to be involved in as much maybe administrative stuff. How do I start funneling things out? So I'm not longer kind of, I'm taking things that I'm working in the business uh, and I want to work more on the business, more strategic stuff. And, and that's the reason why I love it. I, I, it, it is a game. It is very, very fun, very rewarding, especially when it's done well. And there's some amazing lessons to be learned when it's not done well, right? But it does make you a better investor. And when you've done it as long as I've done it, um, even myself, when I work with students, um, especially, um, and seeing their journey and seeing how they've expanded and even just sharing some tidbits of lessons where they have avoided mistakes, it, it's like watching your child kind of having success. And, and that is an extremely rewarding feeling. 
And, and I want to be really clear. It's not because of me. I can just provide some insight, but it's because they went out and just made it happen. And that's what I always love giving them high fives and like, keep going, keep the direction you're going. So like I said, I'm, I'm very passionate as you guys can see in this game. It's always evolving. I don't know if you guys are noticing this, but it's always changing interest rates. So it's like I said, it's not, you know, a lot of people say, you know, you want to make your real estate investing boring. It hasn't been boring in a long, long time. There's lots to be thinking about and, and reviewing. There's opportunities that are there. And, and one of the things that I really enjoy is, um, you know, being in this as long as I have is going through cycles and, and, and repeating things that have happened and going back and saying, I remember this, we did this, let's do it again. That's really cool. So thank you for that answer. I'd like to highlight something you said a little bit before. Um, you said you shouldn't be doing this all for money. So, I mean, we're called the freedom chasers. We're not the money chasers, right? Mm. So I think you are so um, dead on there. Like if your end goal is money, that will take you to a certain degree, but it's not going to take you all the way to the end because if oh, you're really. trying to find fulfillment, you're going to get much further in life and you're going to have a more enjoyable life too. Yeah. And I love the I love the metaphor of this being a game because a game is fun. But if a game isn't challenging, you're probably not going to play it that often either. And, and this is one of the most challenging games, too. And as you said, it's constantly evolving. Um, so I would like to get like just a quick three top three lessons learned that you would like to share with the audience um, through the challenges that you've overcome. Yeah. Um, well, I think the first one, the first big one is don't play the speculation game. That's the number one is you want to make. And, and again, this is my perspective and it's changed a lot is um, I am a cash flow investor. There's a reason why I'm a cash flow investor. So even during challenging times that we may be seeing today, if your property is cash flowing, you can over you can ride out any major challenging issues that may arise. Okay. So even now with these increased increased interest rates, we're in a very fortunate position that we're always buying with cash flow. We are still cash flowing properties. You know, the properties are still being sustained. I've written out a couple of recessions myself. And you know what? Uh, the one thing that I've learned is even though the property values may have gone down, I'm in no concern and no worries because cash flow is always going is always constantly there. So if you go in with that perspective, avoid the speculation side. Again, speculation can cause a lot of issues. You just never know when that can turn in a dime. But if you're strong cash flowing with a long-term strategy, I think you'll have a lot more success. So that's number one. Uh, number two, um, make sure you don't shortchange your investment. And, and when I say that is make sure you have healthy reserve funds, especially right now. Like, you know, reserve funds are key. I see a lot of investors, especially pitching it out to other money partners as well, is they will try to say, okay, 20% down. Um, and you know what? I, I don't want to ask for too much money from the money partner. So I'm just going to make the reserve fund a thousand bucks or 1200 bucks or whatever the case may be. Um, Again, the only person you're fooling at the end of the day is yourself, okay? Because you know these expenses are going to happen, especially with a long-term strategy. So budget accordingly. And that's the same thing even with your analysis, with your property analysis. Don't shortchange your vacancy rate. Don't shortchange your property management fee. Don't shortchange your maintenance fee. And don't inflate your rent. Really determine, and you want to stay with a, a more conservative approach. Budget for future rent or for rate increases. You want to plan for those things. Don't budget that you're going to get the top of the top rent in for this particular property. The more conservative you are with your numbers and if it's performing even based on that, then then that's then really you're going to be in a very good position. So that's the second lesson. And the third one and I already kind of alluded to this early is um, and there is a lot of comments out there and there's a lot of books I think even read, written about this is real estate investing is not passive. It isn't. Okay. As soon as you think it is passive, you're about to feel pain because you are not in your business. As I shared before is this is a business. I don't care if it's a condo, one condo that you own or a multifamily building. As soon as you buy a property that generates income and has expenses, then the reality is you've got a business and yeah, there's going to be weeks and months that you really don't have to be involved, but that's the time when you continuously do your due diligence on markets. Are you paying close attention to what's going on within your market? What are those opportunities? Um, you know, do we have any major concerns? 
And, and this is your time to continuously do your research. Don't just do your research based on acquisition, continuously look at that. And because what happens is if you're monitoring it regularly, it's like looking at a crystal ball. You're kind of forecasting what things are gonna happen in the next six months. And so pay very, very close attention. You should always, always be involved in your business, regardless if you've got a property manager or not. And this is probably gonna sound a little bit different too, because a lot of people are like, well, if I'm just the money partner in this deal. Um, I think you're still an active investor, to be honest with you. And more importantly is, how's your team performing, your real estate expert team? Are they still hitting their targets, their timelines? Is it performing accordingly? How are you connecting with them? So don't, again, don't just assume that I just gave Matt $100,000, that everything's okay. And I'm sure it's okay with Matt. But the reality is, I do want to check in with Matt and make sure everything's good. And it's not that I need to call him every single day. But again, there should be some measurement where you are, or some process where you can check in to make sure that the business is performing. So, yes. So I, you got my curiosity juices flowing, and you're talking about taking assets that were once probably very happily held, and now that as you're leveling up in the game, you're getting better returns with less effort on more maybe secure assets, and so you're you're starting to sell off these assets that take more time, aren't bringing the returns. So your portfolio is getting richer and richer and probably more and more close to passive than it was before. Yeah. So as that happens, the game maybe gets easier. How do you balance, Tim mentioned this earlier in a question, how do you balance maybe that need as us guys to play the game, to compete, that, that raw challenge with the easiness? Is it like, hey, I'm 20 years in, I'm getting the back back nine of my career. I'm just enjoying the slower pace mm -hmm. or or does it do you feel like it's freeing you up to do something on a different level? Um, well, again, part of it is systems, right? And so if you've got properties that are performing well and you've got some that are maybe not as what they were, you know, before for in some cases or requiring more time, you know, like I said before, I've got lots and lots of lessons learned. Most of them are early on in my career, maybe not choosing the right property in the right area. Uh, maybe something like, especially some of my smaller units like townhomes that I had when I first started as well. Oh, another special assessment hit. You know what? Maybe I need to get rid of this one because it's taking a little bit of extra money or my jeans and or even more importantly is it's just not cutting the mustard. Is this property still worth my time? Yes or no. And as I start to remove some of that, some of those challenges, or maybe not challenges, but just some of those maybe non-quality performing properties out of the portfolio, it gives me more time to focus on the opportunities or better opportunities that pay out more. So yes, maybe I'm consolidating a little bit more from a more of a numbers perspective, but at the same time, focusing my energy and time and systems on more plump opportunities. But as we talked maybe a little bit earlier is, if I'm sitting on a couple hundred thousand dollars of capital in that property itself, because I've held it for such a long period of time, can I do something a little bit better with that money versus what it's currently sitting at today that's maybe not performing to the levels that we're currently are at today? So like I said, some of our earlier acquisitions when we did this many years ago, wasn't always done based on sophistication when I first started. You know, back then, 20 years ago, right. yeah, right. you know, 20, yeah, 20 years ago, there was no such thing as Freedom Chasers podcasts or a bigger pocket. There was none of that stuff that was there. Right. So it's called, uh, you know, putting the blinders on and just kind of hoping for the best in a lot of cases. And that was the scientific method. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's it's a school of hard knocks. And, and in some cases, that those were the lessons that were learned. And so with that being said, you know, you, you go through that, you, you learn those things. And then again, you, you look at your portfolio and I do this usually, it's coming up very quickly, you know, around this time of year and reassess what's the plan for 2023 for a lot of our properties. And, you know, do we reduce our portfolio? Do we change things up? Is there equity? How are we evolving as we continuously grow? Uh, and like I said, it's maybe sometimes it's just repurposing that cash for something bigger and better. And, and that's kind of really what the focus is. And, and so honestly, um, if I have the ability to streamline, it makes my life easy, easier. And for those that are getting started that are not doing this for 20 years and haven't had mortgage pay down for 20 years, like I said, I, I get what you're saying. And, and the important part is you, you, even still, even though I'm, 
Um, and I'm not going to say I'm on the downslope because truly I, I actually don't see myself retiring. That's the weird thing. It's just because I like this. This is fun. It's like, it's fun. So, you know, Warren Buffett, when you see the guy, he's like, I don't even know how old he is, hundred years old, but the reality is this guy's still in the game, still making money because you know what? He loves the game, right? It's not like he's there fixing toilets or doing any of stuff or at the exchange doing, he's not doing that. He's just playing a game and we're doing the same thing too. And it's like, how do we play the game more efficiently? And, and I guess that's my comment is like, as you go down this road, have that clarity of what your investment goals are, drive for that. And like I said, over time, and if you've got a long-term approach to it, like I do, you might be doing the same thing too and start to dwindling off some of your smaller parts of your portfolio to be focused more on maybe better opportunities. Um, and that's what we're doing today, so. Love this. So I want to get a hot take from you. And so what I'd like to get is you got to raise a million dollars and you got to raise it in a week and you've lost all your phone contacts or social media <laughs> contacts. You've lost everything like a little undercover billionaire esque scenario. You can't leverage any credibility that you've ever had in real estate mm -hmm. and you got to raise a million bucks in seven days. How do you do it? Um, I think for, for me, it is going straight to a higher caliber client client base. And, and honestly, it's, it's networking is probably the best place to go, to be honest with you. It, uh, when you start to build those personal contacts, um, you know, for me, my, my ideal client and, and, you know, maybe I shouldn't be sharing this, but my ideal client are doctors, dentists, chiropractors, all these individuals, they've got lots and lots of money, endless amounts of money. They just don't have a lot of time. So those are probably the first places that I would go. So I'd probably go to the hospital, uh, maybe, or go to the chiropractic office. No, I wouldn't actually do that. But the reality is I would definitely be reaching out to these individuals and, and, and really communicating um, an opportunity to connect with them, you know, and really highlighting and say, listen, um, this is what we do. This, we want a real estate investment company. We see opportunities in the very near future, hoping to maybe sit down and have a cup of coffee with you and see if you've got capital that might be of interest. I want to learn more about yourself, what your goals are and what your investment, uh, what investment goals are. And then more importantly, I can share a little bit about our company to see if it's a right fit for you or not. No pressure whatsoever. It's just an opportunity to learn. We know doc we work with exclusively with doctors and dentists in the investment world. Real estate has always been a very sound asset and we just wanted to have the opportunity to kind of share and, and discuss. So for me, it would be reaching out to as many of those higher caliber quality individuals versus trying to piecemeal 10, 15, $20,000 at a time. Because you know what? That one doctor might hit your number with one appointment really quickly, right? And I think that the one thing I've learned of this is it's not about quantity of investors. And even myself, I don't have like a hundred money partners. I don't. I have a very small group of individuals and it's rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat on the acquisition side. And, and so when we make profits and I, you know, literally I just cut a check for somebody for about $150,000 for profit in, in a short window, I gave them their check and all they did was give it right back to me and say, where else are you going to park this thing, right? <laughs> Can't ask for anything better than that, right? That's exactly what, those are the relationships you want. And so I don't look at a lot of my partners and say, hey, I'm looking for a partner for a year or five years. I'm looking for a partner for 30 years, truly. Because if you're successful and you, and you do well, then more importantly, um, they'll, they will come back to you over and over again. So to answer your question, Matt, it's not an easy one because obviously in a week, you're feeling like you're going to be scrambling on a particular deal. But I think the important part is it is it's still really, really important to um, to have relationships and it goes both ways. Um, do you really want like if you're desperate for a million dollars for your deal, are you willing to settle uh, with crappy money partner relationships that you need to manage for the next five years? I'm going to tell you this right now, based on experience, the answer is no. Kill the deal to be honest with you. It's not worth it, it isn't. You wanna find people that have commonality with your investment goals, um, and more importantly, that you feel like you can work with for the next 30 years. If your spider senses are tingling and saying, hey, Tim, this Tim guy seems like a pretty okay guy, but something's not, uh, you know what I mean? It's just, it's kind of like going on that date. You just know, right? And you just know if they're, they're kind of wife material and, 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 and you know when they're not. Use the same analogy into your raising capital side. So you should be screening your money partners just like they're screening you. It has to be that way. And honestly, if you can't find the money and or if you are finding the money, but you are making decisions that you're like, and you know, in your heart of heart, that is just like, 
this is not, you know, I, I'm doing something that I, you know, I listen to Mike say on Freedom Chasers, I'm doing it. Um, I'm telling you, you will soon find out. There's a reason why I'm sharing that with you, yet another multiple times of lessons. Um, you don't, okay? And, and so find find the right people. So, so important. Absolutely, 100% agreed. And um, I mean, I really love how highly you emphasize how important networking is. And you mentioned the people, your ideal clients, not only do you have a certain avatar that you're looking for, this is something a lot of people don't do, and they no. should be. Yes. Um, so you have your avatar. Mm -hmm. um, you're probably not going to meet these people at real estate investing events, which is a great thing for you, because that's what a lot of people are doing for networking. So I'd be curious to know how you do network with your ideal avatar. Yeah, actually, I disagree with you, Tim, to be honest with you, is one of my biggest clients oh. that I met was actually at a real estate investment event. He owns 20 properties with me. And so, again, sometimes they're out there looking and exploring and you just never know. Uh, other places that you kind of go to is you're right. You know what? You, you see all these like Facebook groups and individuals talking about real estate investing. More often than not, uh, sorry, more often than not, there's just a bunch of real estate experts in there and there's very, very little money partner. So you got to go back and say, where am I going to find these individuals? You know, what are their common interests? What are things that they're more focused on? And how do I get out there and start to connect and reach out with them? Um, so in some cases, it is going to maybe, again, you know, you're going to be part of Facebook groups. Well, maybe there is a chiropractic Facebook group. And why not make some personal connections and just send out some messages to in these individuals as you're part of their group and highlighting a little bit about what you do. Trust me, these guys are no different than us real estate experts. They're looking for opportunities. They're looking for ways to diversify their portfolio. And so sometimes you just need to go outside the box a little bit and really explore, like even myself. Um, when I started many years ago, there was a doctor's convention, uh, a dentist convention here in Vancouver. I went to it. Okay. I went to it. I, I, I didn't set up a booth, but I was able to be an attendee and I walked the room and I met multiple different individuals because all of a sudden I had my name tag, my company name that was there. And I introduced myself. And as soon as they found out what I did, they're just like, oh, interesting that you're here in a dentist convention. And I guess what? I'm the only one there. That's it, right? So it's just, here I am connecting with people in a much more personal setting. And so sometimes, again, you have to think outside the box is ask yourself, are doctors, dentists, chiropractors, and again, that's my avatar, you know, Tim, and, and, and truthfully, are they in real estate investing groups? Sure, they probably are. But I want to look for a very large base of those individuals. And I have to ask myself, where are they located? And then go to them. And that's what I have to do. Um, and here's the best part about it is once you connect with one person, uh, the referral base is quite significant within that smaller community as well. So they all talk to each other. Yeah, you've done a lot of things here that are really important that a lot of people are missing out on often. Number one, you identified the type of person you want to work with and you you have a avatar, right? And number yep. two, you didn't think like, oh, you're like, where are these people? I'm going to go to where they are. You didn't think of some other creative strategy or just like, or not to say that isn't creative, but I mean, <laughs> you didn't overthink it at all. You're just like, where are these people? Hospitals, <laughs> right? You could just go to the hospital if you really need to. Oh, yeah. um, <laughs> so yeah. I love how you simplified it. So um, what you're doing now, like savvy investors, as well as your main business, like what are your vision for the next 12 months or so? How are you guys looking to grow? Yeah, I guess we're we're in a couple couple phases, and and I guess we have our two different businesses. One's our real estate investing business, which I kind of shared with everybody today. It's just like you know we're we're getting into cash, we're going to get into acquisition mode, we're looking for opportunities literally throughout the country. Um, we are looking in the states, we are actually looking even internationally as well, believe it or not. Um, but we are getting into cash. We're getting we're again. I I referenced this earlier as we go back to our notes and what would made us successful back in times of turbulence and revisiting a lot of those same strategies that we're, we're positioning ourselves to. And we made most of our acquisitions around 2010 or 2010. And um, I see opportunities in the future. So from a real estate investing side, um, that's what we're doing. Um, the second part that we are focused on is, um, as you've referenced, you know, savvy investor. I think more than any time ever, um, there's a lot of confusion. A lot of people don't necessarily know what to do. And, and more importantly, they, they, they want to get into real estate, but they just don't know if this is the right time. So it is about focusing on education. So, you know, for those that are listening today, take the time right now to learn, like seriously do it and do it sooner than better, uh, sooner the better, because like I said, this could be an opportunity of a lifetime for you guys to jump in. So if you've got some skill sets that are not necessarily, uh, there, 
um, take the time. So for, for my focus and what we're doing at Savvy is we're trying to share as much information as we possibly can. Um, Savvy Investor, we have our education platform called Elevate Academy. Um, so we've got individuals that we do training, personal training, and then we've also got our mastermind group, which is designed for people that are already sophisticated investors. They've already done a lot of this stuff, but they're now kind of going to phase two and phase three in their career in regards to scaling their business, but maybe not necessarily knowing those key steps. So for, for me, we're just trying to support them to the best of our ability and train these individuals and, and really talk about the opportunities that are ahead. You know, how, you know, what are some of the things that they should be paying attention to and how are they going to be growing? So for us, we're really expanding our education base in regards to multiple different things, you know, right now, and I'm sure you guys are probably seeing the same thing. With cash flow being challenging right now, people are starting to kind of lean into the short-term rental space. So that's another program that we're about to, that we're in the process of just creating right now is, you know, does short-term rentals make sense in your area or not? You know, what are the things that you should be aware of? There's always pros and cons to everything. So understanding it first, and then more importantly, how best to execute this to, so you're effective in your strategy, right? And so that's the one thing, as things are always evolving, is your strategy still the right strategy right now for your existing investments? And so for us, um, it's just further expansion on the educational side of things. Um, and I think for a lot of people that are maybe sitting on the sidelines, they're just like, you know, I don't know what to do. So we want to make sure that we're front and center and providing the support that they need in this next couple of years. Because I, like I said, in my perspective, there's going to be lots of lots of education and training required. So amazing thank you michael so much for sharing about your life your business your passions it has been such a joy to be able to speak with you today guys for those of you out there listening if you could just take one thing whether it be getting into cash how to get a million dollars in a week all of the things about the market cycles the due diligence the analytics the numbers you've given us not just the numbers but you've given us passion as well so thank you so much guys Take one action, share it with somebody you know, so you can, you can get it done in seven days because freedom is only one action away. So thank you guys for listening and we'll catch you on the next episode.